Broadcasting from Doksu Village on Jeju Island, this is The Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode... Korea's back-to-the-land movement is an unprecedented phenomenon in modern Korean history. What's driving tens of thousands of Koreans to start a new life in rural Jeju? In this interview, I speak with Agnes San, an American cultural anthropologist with a focus on social and cultural movements, about her research on the growing urban exodus and its impact on Jeju and Korean society. So in the Korean context, Mm -hmm. what is the Back to Land movement? The Back to the Land movement is pretty new in Korea, um, and I would say probably it has had a lot of influence from the Japanese Back to Land movement, which um, started maybe 20 years ago, and I think think the reason why Korea started to, well, I mean, there's sort of two things. There's the way that the government promotes it, and then there's the way that, you know, people have taken it up. Right. So I think the, the reason the government kind of started to um, support um, this back-to-land movement and kind of also the media took off, and, you know, there's all this media about the back-to-land movement. Um, a lot of it, I think, had to do with um, the economy going sour, you know, in 2008. So really they put in... Um, kind of new policy in 2013. So it's been very recent that, they, that they've done this stuff. So I'm looking, I'm trying to look at the government side of things, but then also how people are okay. taking it up. So how would you define back to land? What does that mean for like a family or a, uh-huh. a couple or an individual who decides to go back to the land? What is mm-hmm. that? So I think, I guess it just means that, I mean, the way I'm looking at it is people who are moving from the city and particularly from Seoul, the Seoul metropolitan area, to the countryside. Um, some of them are farmers. Um, a lot of, in, in Jeju, there has been a lot of um, people who have, uh, people who have started cafes and guest houses. So in Korean, it's called Quinong Kwichon, which, which translates into back to the farm and back to the countryside. Mm. So they kind of, they kind of distinguish between people who are actually becoming farmers and people who are actually just moving back to the countryside and either running a business or, um, you know, doing some freelancing work. Um, so, yeah, there's there's kind of that distinction. And so in the Seoul metropolitan area, 100 kilometers from any direction of Seoul itself is 25 million people out of a population of 49 million? Probably. More than half. More than it's half. more than half of the population of, of Korea. I know that. And in, let's say, the last, well, since for the last 30 or 40 years, they've been sort of... Mm-hmm being drawn towards that mm-hmm. central mm-hmm. hub of Koreanness, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of hit a pinnacle and right. mm-hmm. the back to land is a reaction to that mm-hmm. but you're saying it was caused mm-hmm. by the uh, 2008 financial crisis and how it affected Korea. that's a big part of it Korean history if you look at Korean modern contemporary history since like the early 1960s there has been like a net migration into Seoul for the, for the past 40 years has been unbroken, uh, this process of urbanization. So very, very quickly. And Korea used to be, you know, a agricultural country. Um, but, yeah, so in the past 40 years, it is, there's been an like, uninterrupted movement from the countryside to the city. Um, 2013 was the first year that that has shifted, and now there is a net out-migration. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So Seoul is done growing, I guess. Uh, I mean, that's so. So that what was. What do the numbers of, look like? Look like on that? If if 
mm-hmm. it hit if it hit it and now it's uh, reversing just a little bit just a little bit like about I think 5,000 is the net migration out oh. out migration from Seoul um, but yeah for 40 years before that it was people moving into Seoul and a continued continuous stream so I'm sort of looking trying to trying to understand that shift why and you know it's I feel like it's going to continue where people are going to start moving out um, you know, similar things have happened in the U.S. where, you know, there was an urbanization process and then people moved out to the suburbs and went back out to the countryside. Um, so I'm trying to understand, you know, what happened in um, 2013 that, you know, now people are starting to value the land, you know, the countryside, um, so, wanting to move out of the city. So what kind of people mm-hmm. do you think are motivated to make that kind of really dramatic and drastic mm-hmm. lifestyle change? A big set is uh, retirees who are, you know, people who have finished their, you know, their company job and so on are moving out. I'm focusing on young people, the younger generation. Um, So of the people that I've talked to and I've interviewed, um, a lot of them are, um, I mean, it's interesting, the generation of cranes that I'm interviewing, um, a lot of them have had a lot of background in culture and arts. Um, and have also had a lot of experience traveling abroad. Um, so either, you know, studying in foreign countries or traveling. So they're very kind of cosmopolitan in some sense, and they're also very educated. Um, so, and, a lo- and then they've, they've also had experience working in these Korean companies. But I think because of their experience abroad and because of their sort of like alternative, you know, maybe bent. A lot of them are kind of artistic or um, work in cultural fields. A lot of them say that they just can't, they don't want to live in Seoul anymore. You know, it feels too rigid. Um, The hierarchical structure of the companies are just, it doesn't doesn't work for them. So a lot of the people I've been interviewing are sort of alternative or or want to sort of seek a different path in the sort of, um, you know, kind of rigid path that maybe their parents' generation Followed. So really, so. it's kind of a countercultural movement. It is like it's it. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out. You know, I think it's it's diverse. So you know, it's hard to say it's one thing, but I definitely feel like there's a countercultural aspect to it. Um, a lot of the people that I've interviewed, you know, are they want to live according to values that are not preset for them, and they feel like in Seoul. Um, there's, there's sort of a way to be, you know, you, you have to have kids, you have a certain amount of kids, drive a certain kind of car, you know, have an apartment of a certain size. They don't want to follow that. Um, right, so, con- so contrast mm-hmm. that urban life with what they find when they, when they come out to the countryside and, and pursue the back to land. Mm-hmm. What is an urban life like for an average Korean uh, young person? What is an urban life like in Korea? You mentioned it, the size of the apartments, mm, the, the, the pressures right. of education for the kids, mm-hmm. the pressures of the corporate job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, like, what else, what else is, is really a challenge for people when mm-hmm. they live an urban lifestyle? Yeah, I think just having a lot of people say, just say that, um, like, it's just so crowded. You know, they spend, <laughs> they spend so much time getting to work and coming back. They have to work really late into the evening. You know, at these companies, they are often they often have to work overtime. Um, a lot of them say that their family life really suffers. They never get to see their kids. You know, um, and just and a lot of people have talked about kind of the bodily 
uh, effects of living in a city like Seoul. Um, like they feel like they're, you know, they can't breathe. Like they feel like the air is really bad. They feel like their health is suffering. So there's a lot of health-related things that people talk about. Um, time, you know, having no control of your time, feeling like, um, you know, you just, yeah, you have no time for yourself. You have no time for your family. And they come um, to Jeju, and it's birds singing, it's fresh air, mm-hmm. it's blue sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's the What's the work like? I mean, what are they doing when they mm-hmm. come here from 9 to 5? Right, so that's, that's a good question. Um, and I think that's, it's hard for people because they're not, they're not making the kind of money that they, that they, that they uh, made in Seoul. And a lot of them... Um, I, that's, I think that's part of the movement. It's like um, people say, when you, move to, when you move to Jeju, you have to learn how to earn less and spend less. So there's a big, I think there's a big kind of, it's kind of like a, it's counterculture in that way. People are kind of, have become a little bit anti-materialistic or anti-sort of capitalistic a little bit, I've found. Um, And, but they have time. Oh, and so many of my informants have said that, you know, I've, I lost my money, but I've gained my youth and I've gained my time, you know, my free time. Um, And a lot of them have to work, you know, so, right, so you know, either they're working on farms or um, they, have, they have businesses, coffee shops or, you know, guest houses. But a lot of them have to sort of like patch together different jobs, you know, because it's hard to, to make a living in Jeju. So some of the challenges they face are mm-hmm. financial mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the trade-off is worth it for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. What other challenges might they face uh, starting over in a new place like Jeju compared mm-hmm. to where they come from? Um, so... Yeah, a lot of, I mean, finding a job is really tough. Um, finding a community is often hard for people. Um, I think a big, a big part of it is that this, this whole Back to Land thing has become so um, popularized by the media. Do you know Lee Hyori? She's popular. Uh, do you know Lee Hyori? She's, she's like this. Yeah, yeah, a Korean Beyonce, a Korean Britney Spears. Um, but she, I think in, I forget which year, I think two or three years ago she and she was she's really famous Korean singer um, so she moved down to Jeju and she is like super vegetarian and like super like into she's very politically progressive um, and so she and she you know she bought this bought land in Jeju and moved down with her husband and has like a garden in the back that she works on. So her her move here has been very influential, I think, to young people because she's like this, you know, um, she's become like an activist for animal rights too. Like she's very and she's very young and beautiful, and she has a blog and she writes about it. And so things like there and there's been other people like that who popularized the the movement. So in some sense, it, it's kind of romanticized, and then people come here. A lot of people come here and then they realize it's harder than it seems mm-hmm. and um, end up going back after two or three years. So that's also that's also part of, part of the problem. So there's some statistical data on what's been going on, mm-hmm. uh, how many people, where they immigrate from. Uh-huh. Um, and they come to Jeju, but they, they go elsewhere in the country too. Mm-hmm. So there must be right. some numbers on that. Mm-hmm. What kind of st- uh, statistics are you privy to? What do you mm-hmm. have? Yeah, so... 
Um, I told you about the the net migration that in 2013 has been from Seoul from the Seoul metropolitan area to the to the countryside. Um, in two in 2013 and 20 wait in 2012 and 2013. Um, In, uh, in 2012 and 2013, um, Jeju had the highest, the fastest population growth of any region in the country. So Seoul, Seoul and Gyeonggi-do are losing population, but um, Jeju-do has been gaining population. Incrementally. Incrementally. Both the loss and the gain. Right, right, exactly. So if, that's net, net in migration. Right. So there are people leaving. There are always people leaving. But just to make sure that there's mm-hmm. no confusion about the numbers, like, mm-hmm. this isn't a wave. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's small potatoes. But in Korean, in the Korean terms, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's something. It's significant, yeah, yeah. because Jeju has lost population for so many years. Right. So for a long time, Jeju has lost all of their youth. And people weren't, people weren't coming here to start anything. People weren't coming. People were just leaving. And, you know, you, you can see in the countryside, it's an aging population mm-hmm. of, of farmers. So, in that sense, it has been kind of a fresh wave, a blessing for a lot of a lot of these small towns. And in terms of bodies, five thousand people coming to typically spend their savings on starting mm-hmm. a guest house, mm-hmm. starting a coffee shop, farming. Sometimes people mm-hmm. come to farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. So, right. So, have you spoken? The numbers to are. Huh? Sorry. Sorry. Go on. So the number I just want to clarify the numbers are sort of hard to it's hard hard to figure out how many people are coming because there's numbers on the net migration but not exactly numbers on how many people are coming um, mm, right because not everyone registers at, as a as a as a um, what's it called like a resident of Jeju um, but some people like just from what I've heard from people some people have said ten thousand people moved here last year. And then other, and then from other people, I've heard that there's a thousand people moving every month to Jeju. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's significant yeah. that that there is this um, new population. Living on Jeju, we see we see this when we go to some village and, and find a new cafe, mm-hmm. uh, or go to a guest house where the guy opened it up just a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems like the really clear stuff. I'm wondering. What kind of people come to farm? To farm. And what do they farm? Yeah. What's that like? Um, there are, there are some people who are. Um, <coughs> so I've been taking this class on uh, back to this back to the land class. So one of the things that the government has done is they sponsor this um, back to the land class for oh, okay. people. Okay. And um, this is for new residents. It's for new residents. Yeah. And if um, so, it's like an educational course. Of a hundred hours, and it you know teaches basics on farming, on um, you know how to run a business, um, on like Teju history, Teju culture, a little bit of Teju language too, and it's sort of um, designed to. So it's it's free, and if people take the class, then they qualify for um, a low interest loan to buy land um, or to buy a house, I think, or business. Um, in Jeju, so that's been one of the the draws. Is there a draw mm-hmm. before they leave home? Is there some sort of um, institutional financial uh, motivation for people to actually pull up stakes and come over? Right. So that's the so if they take if they take that hundred hour course, 
the financial benefit is that they get um, a loan, a bigger loan. That it's hard. It's kind of hard to get large loans in mm-hmm. Korea. Um, so, but if they take that course, they can qual. If their credit is good, they can qualify for a lower interest loan for a larger sum of okay. money. So that's ba- that's kind of the only financial incentive. So there's nothing people. when people are when people are home on the mainland. There's nothing that they can apply mm. for. They have to make that first step on their own. They have to make that first step on their own. Ah, yeah. But once they come, the government really supports it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 unclear as to how much support people really get. I think there are a lot of restrictions. I think the government um, kind of promotes it as something like they're doing a lot to support people. But from what I, when I've talked to people, they're kind of like, oh yeah, there's all this buzz about government support but really when you get down to it like if you don't meet these criteria or you know if your credit's not good then you can't really get the money so it's sort of mixed I mean but the, but the education course is something I mean it helps people you know, gives them some skills what um, else have you seen in the course um so yeah so you asked me about the farmers so they have some um they've get they had some uh farmers some back to the landers who have kind of made it on Jeju give like kind of presentations about their experience. Um, so a lot of them have, some of them have been like, um, <laughs> so cute. Um, a lot of them have been um, kind of more traditional kyuu farmers, like Mandarin farmers. Um, but uh, some of them have also been, you know, interested in um, like organic farming. Um, that has been sort of a, a thread throughout the class. Um, so I would say a lot of the people who come down are interested in sort of environmental stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, and yeah, so about the, the people who are interested in farming and returning, you know, returning to the land, um, a lot of people talk about their health, you know, wanting to um, come back to nature for their health or that they have control over the time and um, yeah, things like that. So it, it is motivated as a sort of countercultural thing, but mm-hmm. does it also lean into a kind of like Jeju is the Pinterest of mm-hmm. Korean provinces? <laughs> Jeju is the Etsy yeah. of, of destinations for people to move to? Yeah. Korea is a small place. You can only move so many mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm wondering how granola it is. And, and how, like how granola it really is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I feel like Jeju is driven so much by the blogosphere, as you probably, you know, as you know, like all the cafe, all the new cafes that come out and all the restaurants that come out, you know, and it, it is about like being stylish and being like new, you know, coming out with something new. So I think a lot of it is about, because I've been also reading blogs, because I'm trying to analyze these narratives of people who come and how are they, how are they experiencing the countryside and how you know what is their kind of journey like because you know my my understanding of back to land all comes from the american context of like kind of like emerson and john muir and like tell me more about that people. though so 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 mm-hmm. as someone who researches who's an american mm-hmm. how do you perceive that um mm-hmm. what yeah. would that definition be i mean so one of the reasons why i was interested in this project is because my my mother actually grew up in her family went back to the land. She she was her parents were kind of involved in a lot of intentional communities, which are like you know, kind of communitarian. They're communes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in one of those, um, in one of those, in one period of her life, her parents like moved to a farm, 
for 10 years and, you know, had other people living with them and, you know. So that, to me, is back to the land. And they were try trying to be, like, um, self-sufficient farmers. Like, they were trying to live off the land. Um, your mother's from Illinois? My mom was born in Ohio. And your dad's from? My dad's from Korea. From Seoul? He, um, he was born in Busan, and then he moved to Seoul when he was 12 or so, so he's sort of in between. Okay. So, so in interesting. So yeah. the, the Korea aspect comes from your dad, and the communal aspect comes from your mom's yeah. life. Yeah, she... right. And so I was also sort, always sort of fascinated by that. And I grew up in a city. I grew up in Chicago, so I was always sort of fascinated by the, you know, return to the land. Because it's big in the U.S., you know, now, like with organic farming and local foods. Um, what do you think drives that trend in the States? In the States? Well, I think it's kind of like post-industrial, you know, like for a long time, in the 60s and 70s, our parents' generation, it's all about convenience and mass production, um, industrialized food, you know, everything was about convenience and, yeah, mass production. And now I feel like people are, of our generation, are, you know, more interested in sort of, you know, where does something come from? Where do, where do our foods come from? Like, and it's all about, like, crafts, you know, things like you want to understand the journey of where your food came or where your beer came from. Mm -hmm. So you're here on a kind of fact-finding mission right now. Mm -hmm. um, besides the back-to-land classes, mm -hmm. what else have you been up to? Um, so I've been interviewing, um, I've been interviewing people that I've just met along the way, either through class or through people that I've met. Um, I've also another part of my project which we haven't talked about but which was in my original proposal is to compare um, this the back to the land sort of hippie kind of countercultural people to um, uh, migration with down, com down communications Do you, have you heard of that? No. so it's a company that um, it's a um, internet portal company so kind of like neighbor but it's like the second biggest company um, and they um, a couple a few like maybe five years ago they moved their headquarters down to down to Jeju um, and they're I mean originally Jeju was trying to create this kind of Silicon Valley type thing so they were one of the kind of the representative company that moved down so they are also sort of moving back to the countryside but in a very different fashion you know they're, they're moving down with a company and um you know, they have very steady employment and they're working for this sort of like very kind of forward-thinking company. So I was doing a comparative. So I've, I, I did a few interviews with those people, with the town employees as well, to sort of, you know, see how their experience has been different. So I've done some interviews with them. Um, and then I've just, I've, I've tried to just try to capture the scene as much as I can, like going to, um, and I haven't done this as much as I should, but just going to like... Um, art spaces in Jeju City um, and visiting some guest houses and coffee shops and, and talking to people and trying to understand what, what people's networks are and stuff like that. So that's sort of been what I've been doing. You'll be back in the fall. When I come back in the fall, it will be my, it'll be my dissertation research. Okay. Yeah, so that's funded by um, Fulbright Hayes. So that's, um, I'll be here for a year. Okay. So you've been here three months and... Uh, you're leaving tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 come to its end. Mm -hmm. In the time you've been here, what are some of the challenges you faced mm -hmm. with your research? I think what I mean one of the things I have to do when I go back is just figure out how to 
found the project and also how to how to see the project because I think there's two two ways there's always I mean there's always multiple ways to look at something and on the one hand some people say this is um, the romantic kind of viewpoint in which first drew me is like oh these people are moving back to the land and you know they're returning to nature and they're you know returning to that sort of these older values that are have are, are being lost in some sense in Korea um, but then on the other hand because I've also been talking to Jeju like residents to get their perspective on the other hand you know they're um, some people say, well, this is not really back to the land. This is actually just spreading soul down to the countryside. You know, what, what invading, is that? What is yeah, that? expansion so, of soul. What does that know? mean to Jeju people when they, when they say that? It's not replacing, like, every harmony that's, like, you know, passes away in the field. Mm. There's, like, a new soul person for each one. They're, they're making cafes. And yeah. Right, so, so right. for Jeju people, like, how do they see these, uh, you know, infiltrators? Yeah, so, I mean... It's sort of like instead of instead of um, instead of entering into this kinship structure, into this structure that's this agricultural structure that's already there, they're creating these new networks, you know, of of soul lights. So, can you think of ways that, like, when the government runs these back to land schooling programs, mm-hmm. can you think of ways in which they might sort of bring this issue into mm-hmm. it, where they're trying to integrate instead of just they, add? Yeah, I mean, they are trying, I think, like the I mean, this this program has been running for several years now, so I think the one I attended was like it was a, I think it's the fourth cohort of people that they've trained. So this year they added a portion where they, we went, one day we just all went to this farm garlic farm and just did volunteer work and that was, partly that was in reaction to people who've started to say because there's grumbling you know from town people like who you know first of all why are all these new people coming and second of all why are they getting all these financial benefits yeah. and we're getting nothing it's like we're farmers here. too yeah and just give me a highlight of mm-hmm. your time in these three months mm, a highlight um i think i mean some of my interviews have been really good i think it it's when i lived in because i lived in seoul for a year um it was hard to find young soul people who were happy and content with their lives, I felt. Um, but here, in my interviews, I feel like people, you know, are happy with their lives. Some of them, and not all of them. But the way that people, ex- like, talk about their, um, the transformation that they, you know, experience in, in Teju and how they feel... I don't know, they feel happier and feel, you know, like they are, you know, more in control of their lives. And, um, that, that has been sort of rewarding. I think, yeah, talking to people and getting their stories and, and understanding that. Kind of, so where do, you, where do you see the future of the Back to Land movement mm-hmm. in Korea? Mm, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, in Korea, I feel like trends come and go really quickly. So, is, this, is this more of a trend than, than an like, institutional shift? That's what I'm trying to figure out, too. I mean, a lot of people have warned me that, oh, like, this is a trend. No, in five years, it might, it might be gone. Well, what's the difference between a trend and a reaction to an institution? Yeah. Like, is, it, is it a span of, like, the trend? Like, if it's ten years, I, I, Because people warn me, like, oh, this might just be a trend, and, you know, people will fail and go back to Seoul, and this will all be, like, past memory. But... What's your impression? I feel like 
it's more than that. I mean, I, it's hard to say, but I feel like it's more than that. It's about, it's about a value shift, I think. You know, like, people are, they don't want to live the corporate, urban, like, competitive life as much now as they used to. You know, they're kind of, they want to choose something different. They want to, um, yeah, find something else. So I think, I think it will continue. Oh, that's the Korea file for this week. Thanks to Agnes San. You can find new episodes up every Wednesday on iTunes and Stitcher, and as a feature contributor at blogtalkradio.org and eslrok.com. Tune in next week for part one of a two-part conversation with researcher Joey Rosatano on Jeju shamanism. From Duxer Village on Jeju Island, I'm Andre Goulet.